The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, joining me this morning is Joan Kingsley. Joan is the as a psychotherapist. She has a private practice in London, is honorary consultant psychotherapist at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery, and is on this neurosurgery, and is on the psychotherapist register at the School of Life. And she practices as an executive coach. Her new we're going to be talking about her new book, The Fear Free Organization Vital Insights from Neuroscience to Transform Your Business Culture. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Joan. Thank you so much. Great to have you here from London, and we are in New York. Um, okay, what are we talking about when we talk about the fear-free organization? As I understand it, uh, sort of the, the crux of the matter in, in this book is bullying bosses and how, what the effect that has on corporate culture and employees and obviously a negative effect. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. So, I mean... It's yeah. also about uh, bosses, because bullying is, is quite a, a big term. So it's about really about uh, leaders and managers who use fear as a management tool because they don't know any better. Um, sometimes you have bullies who do know exactly what they're doing, but often uh, managers will uh, go to fear because it's an easy way to manage people. Okay. And so somebody, when we're talking about numbers, or we're talking about like in maybe even specific corporations, who does this? I mean, is this something that sort of pervades corporate culture today that we run businesses? I don't know whether it's, you know, big Forbes 500 companies, small businesses, Wall Street. Is that how they're doing business? I as think a whole? it runs the gamut from healthcare institutions and certainly in the United Kingdom, and I'm sure it's true in the States as well. Uh, there is a lot of bullying going on in healthcare organizations. Uh, very, you know, when you get hierarchical structures in organizations, they're very prone to bullying, and it's very difficult to get rid of bullies. And uh, but you know, it can happen in a small business. It can happen in a family business. It can happen on Wall Street. It can and does happen everywhere. And I mean, we have been running workshops in London about how to cope with difficult people at work and bullies, and they get sold out very quickly. And these are people uh, coming after work for these workshops because they're desperate to know what to do, how to cope. So it's pervasive, is what you're saying. It's pervasive throughout the business world. You know, when I... uh, Yeah. Yeah, I I was thinking about this before the show. Uh, Can it ever produce successful results in a company? Because, I mean, I was thinking, you know, having seen the movie, for instance, about uh, Steve Jobs, and yes. he sort of, he had a reputation um, as I've, you know, as a, yes. you know, yes. as a bully. And look what yes. happened <laughs> in terms of the success of Apple. Yeah. Well, I think, let's think about Steve Jobs just for a minute. Um, he was an absolute genius who changed the way we live and how we communicate and how much we communicate and how we use technology. And, I, you know, although he is an example of somebody who bullied people and was very, uh, he wanted what he wanted and he didn't care what anybody had to do to give it to him, I know there are people who are now speaking out after his death about the dreadful impact it had on his life. Um, and, you know, we have to ask ourselves, uh, is, it, is it worth the price that, that people pay to have all of this technology? And also, we are now uh, dealing with the fallout of um, 
you know, decisions made about charges and things becoming defunct and, and outmoded and the impact that's having on us. But I think Steve Jobs, he's a good example in one instance, but not in another, because how often do we get to work with somebody of that level of genius? Okay, so he's sort of in a separate category uh, by himself. He was a womanizer, so we shouldn't appreciate his art. Yep. All right, so then he's he's sort of a separate entity unto himself. I think so. I'm not saying that's acceptable, but I don't think we can put him in the same uh, category or box as, as a manager at, you know, a company who is using fear to get people to be more productive. Why do you think people do that? Before we start talking about the impact of fear and bullying in the workplace by bosses, why do you think people uh, or managers use fear? I mean, where does that come from? Why do they use that, uh, I guess, way of managing people, scaring them? Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's really rather simple. Um, People become managers and leaders not because they're good with people. They're, they're good at their work. They're, they're producing to the bottom line. So they suddenly find themselves promoted up into uh, a management role, and what you're managing is you're, you're, you're actually turning the work you were so great at over to somebody else, and you're managing them. And most managers don't have a clue about what makes people tick and how to motivate people and how to talk to people and how to listen and how to be empathic. And and so the easiest way to manage somebody is the use of fear. Fear is the easiest emotion to trigger in another person. You know, we have eight basic emotions, and they all motivate us. They're all about survival, and they motivate us to survive. So when you trigger into fear as opposed to love and trust and joy and excitement, you are triggering into a really place of survival, where the person who's afraid, instead of being doing a great job, is watching their back. How do I keep my job? How do I please my boss? How do I do what's expected of me without getting beaten up and abused and upset? And then creativity just gets blocked. And all the person is thinking about is day-to-day survival and week-to-week survival and getting their paycheck at the end of the week. So what you're and, saying is, uh, I managers think don't the real, most is, managers, they're not bullies, they're just ignorant about how to help people and how to get the best out of people. So you do get very short-term results when you are scaring somebody. But in the long term, are you building a relationship? Are you creating the trust that, you know, helps something survive for a long time? Over the long haul, is this a good business strategy? No, it's not. You get huge turnover. So organizations spend a lot of money recruiting people, hiring the right people, training them, and then you get a manager scaring them. And, you know, they're going to leave. They're not going to stay very long. I mean, I have worked with several people and a woman in New York last year who had a nervous breakdown working for a one of the most successful companies in the not just in America in the world and she said their attrition rate was 60% that very few people stayed in the organization for more than 2 years and you know common sense says is that a good business strategy you know and then i i work with a company where the owner is very um caring about his staff he's had people working for him for 40 years and, you know, his customers love dealing with his company. You know, and are you saying business. because business is based on dollars and the bottom line, so you're saying it also bullying affects the bottom line in a very negative way as well as negatively affecting the people, obviously, yes. who are working there, but you yes. don't, yeah, you're spending more money retraining new people because people yes. don't stay on the job because they're frightened. I mean, and one of the they things that you say is, and I want you to comment on this, days. you say when fear defines the culture of the workplace, people spend the majority of their time working out self-preservation strategies. And, exactly. And that is so true. You're talking about healthcare facilities, and I've worked in many or several myself, and boy, yeah. you really can see that. People whispering about how they're going to, uh, you know, avoid the boss or avoid the manager or get back yeah. at him. 
Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it, it's very, you know, if you want to make a quick killing, if you want to run a hedge fund and make $10 billion, you know, and, and retire in two years, go ahead, be my guest, use fear. And if you want to work in that kind of organization, that's up to you. But you really, as, you know, young people, I say you've got to understand what you are going into. You've got to do your research. You have to understand what the culture really is. You've got to talk to people who've worked in that organization. If the organization is in a big building with elevators, if you can get yourself in there and ride up and down and hear what people are saying on their way to work, if you can go to Starbucks around the corner, know what you're doing. Don't walk into these organizations blind because, you know, if something looks too good to be true, it is. And, and young people particularly don't really understand the price they're going to pay. They've come out of universities where they're told how fabulous they are, and they've been recruited by companies who tell them how fabulous they are. And, you know, it's like getting hit with a ton of bricks six months down the line to find out what, what that world is really like. And there are good companies out there. There really are. You can find them. All right, well, tell us, let's be, you know, specific. What are those good companies where the, where the leadership or where the management is and the relationship with their employees is built on trust rather than fear? Do we have examples yeah. of that? Yeah. And, and, and I, I can't name the companies. I, look, I started out my business life working at ABC in New York, and I used to have a blast at work. Is it still like that? I can't tell you. I don't know. But there, there are, they, there are companies out there where you actually look forward to going into work, to having a great time. I think I know young people who work at Google, for instance, who love working at Google. You know, I don't know if there's bullying that goes on there. I haven't heard about it. You know, so and I, I think the Silicon Valley companies are very, they are catering to very, very bright millennials. And the young people of the millennial generation who have come out, you know, good educations and are sought after, they are making demands, and those demands are being met certainly by Silicon Valley companies. So they're they're family friendly. Uh, they take a different approach to maternity leave, paternity leave. Um, you know, the, the, if you. So if you're very competent and your comp- the company is hiring very competent t- people and trusts that those people are going to be able to manage themselves, they don't need to have somebody cracking the whip. That's the kind of company you want to be looking for. Okay, but that takes a certain kind of employee because you're talking about very highly educated people who yes. can work on their own. They have the ability yes. to be casual but at the same time be responsible and they're yes. out there in Silicon Valley. Okay, but let's take examples perhaps more. I mean, you have these people, you're talking about your workshops whose companies yes. uh, manage based on fear. You know, your average everyday company where it's not so, the work you're doing perhaps is not so exciting and interesting and you're so passionate about it and everybody else is, but just, you know, nothing, like, a, and I say average, I'm not sure what an average everyday company is, but um, places where most of us are going to have to work. Well, take a healthcare facility. You know what, for- I don't think there is this um, talk going around about, you know, is um, am I going to be happy at work? Is work going to make me happy? And I think that doing mundane tasks, you learn when you're young, when you go to work, That's those are your learning years. That's when you learn all your skills. You don't have to be doing interesting work to get a great deal out of work. You have to have the right attitude about how you approach your day and your mundane job and how well you do that job. Because if you can't do get the details right, on the mundane spreadsheets, you're never going to be able to be a manager or a leader. And those learning years are very important. Of course, if you have a manager who's terrorizing you, you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to do well. Um, so it, it, it's complicated, but there's nothing wrong with, with starting out in mundane work. Those, those, that's where you learn all your skills. You learn how to talk on the phone. You learn how to take messages learn how to work all the different programs. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. 
So it's your attitude, or it's one's attitude, and you do have to learn those kinds of skills, and it's not going to be exciting every single day. But what you're saying, in those situations, if you have someone, a manager, who's scaring you and terrifying you, first of all, you're not going to be able to learn those skills. And as you say, you're just going to make mistakes. Because bullying breaks down trust in yourself instantly. Your confidence goes, your sense of self. You don't believe in anything that you're going to do that it's going to be right. You, you, You think the person is bullying you is white, that they're right to criticize you. It's it's a real it's and it happens very quickly when you're being bullied bullied. You're, you're so what do you do? You, you know, we've been talking about managers need to change if that's what that that's how they're acting or reacting yes. to their employees. Oh. Other than leaving the job, for instance, maybe you you like the job, you like what you're doing, but you yeah. have this manager who's always on your back, always after you, telling you what yeah. you're doing wrong, never telling you what you're doing right. How do you what do you what does one do in that situation if they want to stay at the job? Well, the first thing you have to do is, um, you know, if we're thinking about policies come from the top of the organization, we have to, and that's why we wrote this book. We didn't write this book for the person who's being bullied. We actually wrote this book for the people who are bullying or using fear. So we're saying to leaders, think about what you're doing. So if you're a leader, what we're saying is you have to make it clear right down through the entire organization, whether you're employing 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, you have to make it clear that there is zero tolerance for aggression, and you have to be clear about what the consequences are. And then if you're working, if you're the person being bullied, um, if you can find it in yourself to be assertive, not aggressive, when working with an aggressive or abusive person so that you stand up for yourself. Um, if you can, you uh, try and confront the bully calmly and clearly, but in safety. If, if you feel that it's dangerous, leave the room, go out for a walk. But you, you can say to somebody who's being abusive, you know, what you're saying to me uh, doesn't feel right. Uh, I, I'm not clear about what it is that I need to do in order to um, calm you down because I, I can't think straight when you're talking to me like that. If you feel safe doing that, if you don't, then leave the room. When you're confronting a bully, um, stick to the facts. Stick to what's going wrong. Don't try and not get uh, sidetracked by emotional outbursts by your emotions or the bully's emotions. And try and keep your emotions in check. And then, really, you walk away if it all gets too much. Um, so let's tur- oh, all right, now I want to turn back to the, because you're an executive coach, let's turn back, uh, let, well, I want to talk about the the executives, the, the ones that you're working with in businesses, um, so yeah. helping them to support their staff. What are some of the issues that they bring up to you? Well, interestingly, most people who come to me, executives who come to me with issues about managing people, and it's always about relationships with people, I've got to say, whether I'm working with executives or a marital issue, it's always about the quality of relationships and how one relates and communicates. And in most instances, I'd say nine out of ten, or nine and a half out of ten, the executive is saying, I have been promoted, and I don't know how to deal with people. People are coming to me with all kinds of problems, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say to them. So it's really about trying to educate people about what makes somebody tick. And, and we're all individuals, so you can have a kind of what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the next person. I mean, some people need to talk, need uh, to be encouraged to go talk to somebody. Some people need to focus on their work in order to deal with whatever might be going on at home. You know, some people are just very insecure and need a lot of encouragement. Some people like to work uh, last-minute deadlines and need encouragement to maybe you come up with different strategies for, you know, the kind of deadlines you give people. So as, as an executive, it's really about uh, teaching what, what, what pre- people bring to work. People come to work with a whole life, a whole drama in their lives, 
and 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 you know, not that you have to know that drama, but you have to be aware that everybody comes with their history. And there are, uh, the, the way the brain works, it, it's so interesting how we make decisions, um, even about something like recruiting somebody. Um, I, I, I interviewed somebody, and everybody else in the room thought they were right for the job, and I didn't like them. It turns out the name of the person reminds them they had a falling out with someone named John six months ago and realized through talking about that the the biases that one has that affect decision-making and how you feel about people. And it's also about learning how to separate your personal feelings out from the professional relationships one has at work. So appreciating And how do you it, do that? That's very difficult. I mean, to me, that's, that's a difficult task, I would imagine. It's or one difficult, of, yeah. but you cannot be a good leader if you're constantly allowing your personal feelings to interfere with business decisions about somebody. Right, give us an example. Somebody, hmm? Give us an you example. You can have somebody who's highly competent um, at work, who does a great job, but the manager just doesn't like them. I just don't like that person. Well, let's look at what you don't like about them. Where is that coming from? Is that coming from something in you, or are they being a horrible person? And, and, and what is the benefit of losing that person? You know, you don't have to like everybody you work with. You have to respect the people you work with. You have to respect their competencies. If somebody is incompetent and unable to do their job and you like them, you know, you're going to have to make tough decisions. It isn't easy. It isn't easy managing people, and it isn't easy leading people. Uh, And it's, it's being willing to try and understand what your weaknesses and strengths are and being honest with yourself and then honest about other people. So what you're saying, you really have to, as a manager, as a boss, you really have to be aware of where you're coming from, where your prejudice is coming from. And I was thinking as you're describing it, you know, you have an employee who does great work, who's producing or doing what he or she should be doing, but reminds you of your brother-in-law who you can't stand. Um, Um, Or your first grade teacher. Or your, yeah, or, yeah. You know, because that's how the brain works. The brain loves putting things in boxes. So you, you kind of have to fight those. You have to uncover those biases. And once you've uncovered them, you can challenge yourself. You can say, step back and say, wait a minute. Is it the person I don't like? Is it something from my past? Can I appreciate what they're doing without actually having to want to have dinner with them? You know? uh, do you discuss this in any situations, would you discuss it with the employee? Because both of you obviously would be able to feel some kind of negative tension or is something that you work out as the manager on your own with an executive coach? or with the, I you think know. you work it out on your own. I mean, those are very, you know, you'd, you'd have to, you'd, the both of you would have to be extremely wonderful people <laughs> and, and trusting and open and, and not, not easily hurt. You know, I, I don't like you because your name is whatever. You know, you remind me of them. And where do you go with that? But if you if you work on it in yourself, there's a, a lot you can do to overcome those things. And as a leader, it's really important because you want a diverse organization. You want diversity in your, you want, you know, gender diversity. You want diversities of culture and ages. You know, the best teams are made up of uh, different kinds of people. The best decisions come out of different kinds of people, but that means there are going to be people who rub you up the wrong way in a group. It's, it's normal. It's natural. I would imagine, Joan, that today, as you say, diversity obviously um, helps an organization to be strong and to be successful, And uh, yes. but the more diverse the organization is, I guess, the more challenging it is for each one of these bosses or managers because yes. everyone has their prejudices, some of which we're aware of, but many of which we're not. So um, it would seem to me that now the challenges would be getting bigger and, you know, bigger. Uh, well, as, as we, the organization grows, yeah. you, know, you, you, you do, you are dealing with more complex problems. You know, it's a bit like a family, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. (laughs) 
you know, you have to accept that that's part of running a very successful, complex organization. And what you want to be doing is focusing, you know, the competition outside the organization. You don't want to be fighting within the organization because then what energy is left for the work you have to do and for being the best and pursuing, you know, the best quality of work if, if there's a lot of infighting going on. Yeah, that's, that's totally counterproductive to everyone. Um, we only have a minute left, so I, I want to uh-huh. just, could, yeah, it's been great talking to you to, today. Lots of Thank really you. good information. But Joan, Joan Kingsley, author of The Free, uh, Fear-Free Organization, where can we go online? We can buy your book, uh, I assume online, bookstores everywhere. And, everywhere. Uh, yep. Yeah, and uh, we so have about a, website? a website, yeah. fearfreeorganization.com, and there are lots of articles we've written that get posted on there, and we're starting to blog on there as well. Great. Great having you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. Great talking to you. Thank you. Uh, okay. We are going to have to take a short break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations, live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Anya Dameron. She's the author of Super Kids. Uh, this book has been described as uh, Super Kids teaches children about inclusion and disability, showing them that people with disabilities are defined by the amazing abilities they can develop and not by what they cannot do. Uh, Dameron, uh, or Anya, has worked in advertising as a copywriter and on the creative team for several Dominican advertising agencies, and since 2008, she has self-published 14 picture books and has created more than 25 products to promote the series, resulting in over 60,000 book sales in the Dominican Republic. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Anya. Hi, I'm great. I, I, I love being here. <laughs> great. Okay, so the original version of the book was published uh, in Spanish, and now we have it in English. Uh, it's uh, been described yes, as it's right. yeah, exquisitely illustrated. So, Super Kids, all right, we're going to tell us what the, you know, describe uh, the, the book, the focus of the book. We know what the focus of the book is, but describe the, the book. Um, it's the a book story, about, you mean? Yeah, the story. Well, it's about a little boy. His name is Ivan, and he loves superheroes, something that almost all the kids love. 
um, and he used to try to to fly like Superman or to climb things like like Spider Man. And one day, his pat, his dad came home was a uh, surprise, and the surprise was a custom made just for him, like a Super Ivan custom. And he told him that superheroes not only have um, great abilities, that they also have weaknesses and that they are also afraid of things and that they have to combine those things to be great. So he challenged Ivan to find his own abilities. And the first thing Ivan thinks is about what makes him weak. Um, he was very afraid of the dark, and he embraced that. And while he's looking for his own abilities and thinking about all his his dad told him about superheroes, he will he is one day walking on a beach with his mom, and he sees someone doing something amazing. It was a kid that could paint with his feet, and that's all he saw: a kid that could do something amazing with his feet. Uh, turns out the kid didn't have arms, and Ivan didn't even notice. He went, he went home, and he tried to do the same many times, but he couldn't. So in that moment, he realized that that kid was not any kid. He was a super kid. He was very um, sure about what his ability was. So when he told his parents about his experience and how he has seen a super kid right next to him... Um, his dad, his mom, was so moved by his kindness that they decided to, t to take him to meet more super kids. So he gets to know a girl that can read with her hands and a couple of guys that can play baseball without moving their, their feet. Um, he, he gets to know a boy that can get dressed by himself with only one arm. He gets to know a girl that can speak with her hands. So he he starts he he starts um, seeing these kids' amazing abilities without noticing that they were disabled and um, that they were kids with special needs. And what we're trying to show everyone in this book is that we can all be like Super Ivan. We can all look at the best when 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 we know someone or when we reach at someone. We can all look for the best in everyone else. And that's what, that is why we are trying to, cheat, to teach children with our book to always look for the positive side of things, of people, of any situation, and to always embrace um, the good in, in everyone else instead of, of, of looking at their weaknesses. So in other words, it's teaching these kids that uh, other children, for instance, who have a disability are not defined by their disability, but... They're defined by who they are and their character, and uh, exactly, yeah, and what they can do. And uh, what a great lesson for kids! Is is the book designed? What age group is it designed for? I would say that from three to like nine or ten. Uh, this is the kind of book it's I would imagine book. that should. Yeah, should be in elementary school, obviously in elementary schools, maybe even preschools that uh, children yes, can have. Um, yeah. Yes, you could read it to a to a younger uh, kid, and you can even um, use the book, even if even if it's a picture book, but you could use it with with all older kids because the message is so strong that even if it, even when it's um, put in the book in a very simple way. You could work on it um, to 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 know what kids are thinking about this kind of this this subject. You know, it's a very um, delicate subject to treat with kids. Um, parents, um, teachers, sometimes don't know how to how to how to communicate about disabilities with children. It's like it's like an awkward subject, and with the book, we make it easy to talk about that, and for kids to express what they think what they what they um, what they have in their hearts and in their mind, because we all see people with disabilities around in the street when we walk. And, Why do you think that people? And, and I think it does start when you're very young. And I have uh, two comments I think to make that um, it's it's sort of like. Um, People are, and children 
um, perhaps are always afraid to express their discomfort with somebody who has a disability who's in a wheelchair or uses a cane or maybe blind. And this book could be, yeah. a, I think what I hear you saying, a jumping off point for teachers and parents and uh, uh, to, to talk to kids about some of these issues um, that that we think about, but we don't say anything because we're afraid we're going to maybe offend somebody or offend uh, the person with a disability. Um, and, and, and now, uh, secondly, kids today uh, in the classroom, we have a lot of children who are, I don't the term is, I don't know if it's still used, but mainstreamed into the classroom, kids who um, are, you know. Per, inclusion, yeah. Kids yeah, who inclusion, have who are in wheelchairs. Um, yeah. So. Um, I we we actually built this book for that to to for children to be able to um, feel normal and be curious and ask questions and embrace whatever they feel when they see someone with disabilities. Um, we we did it for that to work on it on a classroom on a family where there's someone with disability to make the children with disability feel like superhero and to make others feel curious and 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 feel um something positive about them. Anya, what about the word disability? That kind of has a negative connotation. You're using the word disabled. Yeah. So, I don't know if there's another word to use, but you know, let's say that you have to, you know, you can't walk you're in a wheelchair. Um disabled kind of sets up this like I can't think of another word, but quite negative way of kind of viewing the person. Is there other language we can well, use? Well, people people say special needs too, and we try in the book to to not mention it, um, but really that's the word that it's supposed to be used because when you say that someone is disabled, it's not because they can't do something. It's because when they walk into um, um, into a bank, for example, in the bank, normally there's no no one that can sign, for example, or no one that can um, understand uh, someone who who has a disability. The world, our society, is not built to 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 be open with them. So yeah. that's or the to accommodate them. We, uh, I mean, we do in certain ways, and there are certain laws that... Uh, yeah, we, I know. I know, yeah. but that's why they're called like that, because they live in a place that is not um, made for them. It's not, it's not always okay for them. And I think that's the disadvantage they have, not, the, not what they have um, in themselves, but what they confront every day in the society. I think it's really important for us to understand that, and obviously uh, books yeah. like yours help us to do that. I uh, had interviewed uh, several years ago a gentleman who was a businessman uh, who uh, was in a wheelchair and uh, had a big business, and he would uh, have appointments in different cities uh, with uh, clients, and he would it, one of his uh, beefs was that he would, you know, call a hotel and they would say, oh, yes, we accommodate people with disabilities. And then he would get there and there were only steps into the restaurant where he had made an appointment with one of his clients and there was exactly. no way for him to get there. <laughs> and he didn't know that until exactly. he actually got there. Um, yeah. Things, yeah. Which affected not only him, that but his very business. sad. It's very hard. So that's why I, we think that if you start, like, with little kids and and teach them that that it's okay that that it's okay to talk about that that people with special needs are amazing and can be amazing like everyone else um i think that the future in the future those those children are going to have a better approach are going to have a better opinion and are going to act different when they when they are around someone with disability what does the general, uh, just public, uh, general, I guess, media, for instance, because uh, television, movies, I mean, do they emphasize the superheroes and sort of leave out what you're discussing in your book, the, the kids with disabilities who have to cope and our relationship with them? Or is it all kind of like the superhero stuff that we see on television all the time, you know, uh, the, the Superman, Superwoman? 
Well, um, I I can say that our book, um, when when we when children see our book, they after reading it, they normally um, stay thinking like, oh, so I can be a super kid. So what are my own abilities? They start looking at everyone else in the room and trying to see um, what is what makes everyone else around them super because that is what we say in our book not as that not we don't only point out those abilities that that special kids develop as something super we 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 try to reach inside every kid to make them feel confident about themselves and to make them um try to find good things inside them too um the superheroes um concept it it was like a way of of getting their attention and we even sell the book with superhero capes that say super like for you to if your name is Carlos you could say I'm super Carlos just so like the book just so like the character of the book um i think that i think that we we superheroes when we watch a movie about a superheroes or or uh, or cartoons about them um, they do that. When you see a superhero, you see what they can do. They can fly. They are, they're strong. But all of them, they all have a weakness. They all so they have, have a something. Flaw. We see a flaw. Or I don't know if a weakness or a flaw. Is that what we would call it? Yeah. Or something they're yeah. not able to I mean, yeah. they all have it, but you don't pay attention to that. You pay attention to the, to, to the amazing things they can do. And that is what we're trying to do here, to, to teach children to see everyone else like that to first look and pay attention to what makes someone amazing and then okay um everyone has defects everyone has weaknesses but we can we can hold on to what makes us great instead of what we cannot do or what problem we have so we must re- i mean the, the, the thrust of your book is also uh, on uh, respecting, as you say, respect diversity in each person. And I think one yeah. of the things, yeah, one of the things, especially with kids who have, and maybe there's a difference, when you have a physical disability, it's easier to yeah. see. Yeah, I mean, you may be brilliant and, you know, way beyond your peers in terms of your intellect and your cognitive ability, um, whereas the person who may be physically is uh, looks fine, may have all kinds of emotional, cognitive problems, things we can't actually yeah. see. Uh, yeah. But, yes. Um, I think that um, when you have um, a disability that it's like um, that that you can see it from far away, like when you are in a wheelchair or when some part of your body is not there, I think it's it's hard. It's harder for people to to get near you, for people to treat you normal. And, well, normal is not a word that I like to use, but <laughs> to, to, be, um, to be okay with you without pity, without, um, without um, looking at you in a strange way. And I think that if, if, as, as younger as the younger you, you start seeing um, people in any way, like even when, you're, when there's a kid that is fat or a girl that has a different hair color or a skin color, when you start seeing everyone else as, um, as okay, as like, okay, he's just different than me, but he is a kid, just like me, we can play. If you start seeing the world like that when you're little, I think that when, when, when you grow up, um, both sides, the kids and the, the, the kid with, with some kind of special need will, um, will feel different about himself and about everyone else around them. Yeah. I think we and I think you're absolutely right and and we're working towards don't know if we'll ever reach it but this zero tolerance for bullying and that's obviously an objective yeah. that we have of children and adults. Uh, I mean Stephen Hawking is a great example, isn't he? Somebody who has a disability who is, you know, changes the world. Yeah. But he has a, a an amazing ability too. So yeah, exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, my next question is more personal. How did you, you know, start and begin writing these kinds of children's books? Um, you know, Super Kids, but that's not the only one you've written. Obviously, um, you've published so what fourteen picture books, I guess, for kids. So, uh, how did you get started? 
Um, okay, I used to work in advertising. I was a copywriter, and I used to do um, creative um, work and work with with a group of guys who were designing. And one day, I, I, I said, I want to do something else. I want to do something in which I could do everything I like. I could, you know, write. I could create. I could work with illustrators. I could go out and 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 you know, express my ideas and make a change in the world. And I started thinking about this with, about making children's books because I love children's. I, I, I recently had a nephew, my first nephew, and I discovered that I was really, um, gifted to, to play with him and to teach him things and that I enjoyed it. So I started working in this idea of making children's book in my country. There's no way you can learn how to do that. So I used to, I used to buy a lot of books, and I self-taught myself, and I started doing it. Um, by my third book, I wasn't working anywhere. I was just doing that. I started going to schools to share the book, and I started growing. I, I have like nine years now um, doing this, and every day I learn something new, and every day um, kids um, make me feel... Um, uh, like I grow every day when I go to school and I share my stories. Um, childrens are are so um, open to everything. They they don't have they are not inside this little box we live yet. So it's amazing to share with them and to know what they think and to be able to open a little window in their heads so for them to express themselves. And that is what we try to do with our books. Um, I work all my book with the same illustrator and we both um, always challenge ourselves to do um, a better book and a book about a subject that it's different. All our books are about um, concepts to to maybe embrace the kids to dream or to use their imaginations or to learn from all the people around them. All our books have like a, this goal and we try to um, share by sharing these stories, we try to make a difference in every kid who reads the book. Well, I mean, what about, you know, you mentioned talking to the kids and uh, you're giving to them, but they're obviously giving back in kind to you. Um, yeah. Any stories from the kids themselves, you know, any kind of that you could share with us that you've learned from the, the children when you interact with them that have obviously inspired you and maybe inspired you to write your next book? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> that has happened many times. Um, my next book that we're, that we're doing it's a book about saving and about saving money to, to teach children um, the importance of saving for for the future and money, but not only money, but the saving for the future. I actually um, got inspired on a girl that I met that she was always, um, every time she was walking on the street to go somewhere, she would pick up rocks from the floor and put, her in, put it in her pocket. So she was a rock collector and she was um doing that since she was little so i i I got near her mom and i was like do you know what why she does that and she was like no i just do it and we go to the beach and i help her pick up the coolest rocks and i don't know if in the future she's gonna do something with them but she never tells me she's just like doing that so i made up a book about this girl who collects um rocks everywhere and that one day after having a big collection um she creates a big mural in the in the backyard of her house and and paints the rocks with different colors and their parents get to know that she was not doing that um just because doing it with a plan and and with that story um we are going to teach children to save and to and, and that it's okay to to do something now, thinking about what what it can, where it can take you um, in one month or in two years or in four years. Like that, they're not they're, you're never young enough to do to do that. And yes, we learn um, all the time from kids, and we get inspired every day. Um, kids are well, saving so is different. an interesting topic because well, I think in that cur- current culture, it's 
one sort of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's something that we tend not to do. I think it's a real issue, a real, I mean, it's a, it's a, it, it, in the United States anyway, uh, savings, uh, if you look at even the, the baby boomers, uh, no one saved enough to, to retire on. And so you're going to help these yeah. kids start really young, which is important, or at least think about it or be aware that you have to plan for the future like this little girl with her rock collecting. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's what we're working on right now. And I think all our stories came out from someone, from some kid with me someday or or some idea that I exchanged with kids. Um, it's amazing to share with kids every day. Um, they make you um, see the world in a very different way. Well, your books really seem to resonate with people, but not not just in the Dominican Republic, where you're from, but also here in the United States, and I would assume worldwide. Is that true? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're working we, towards, right? That's what we want. <laughs> Um, We are very happy with how people are reacting with the book. Um, It's a very delicate subject, and I think that everyone, the kids, the parents, the teachers, the schools, everyone everyone is, like, reacting very positive and liking our book, and we are really, really happy for it. Well, now, I want to, on uh, on that note, I guess... I want to make sure that our audiences know the book is available online at the website www.youarsuper.com, right? Dot .co, without the end. .co, yeah. Okay, .co. Yeah. Uh, they can also look for it on Amazon. We have, a, uh, we have a Kindle version and a paperback version in both English and Spanish. Okay. Any other websites that uh, we have a, just about a minute and a half left, but uh, any other websites that we should go to to find out more about what you're doing specifically in terms of new books or? Uh, um, uh, we're going. We're we're on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, your Superco is our is our account. Um, they can follow us, and we we are up- upgrading it all the time, and you know sharing everything we're doing. Okay, so you can follow Anya uh, Dameron on Facebook, on Twitter. You can go to the website, youaresuper.co, and the title of this book is Super Kids. Um, Super Kids. It's great talking to you today and having you really doing good work. <laughs> uh, I'm you. a social Thank worker, very and much besides much. an author, you're, you're doing social work at the same time with these series of books. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Anya. Thank you good for luck. inviting me. Great. Uh, We're going to have to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.